the green light on? Okay. <laughs> I guess we're good. Uh, yeah, Scott said that kind of throwing me into the deep end, I guess. And uh, I guess I kind of feel like that. I've never preached more than, than one service before. And I, I remember an old saying that, that goes something like, uh, delivering a sermon is like delivering a baby. You, and then finding out again Sunday night that you're, you're pregnant again. <laughs> I think whoever, whoever originally said that probably said it back when most churches were just having one service. I feel like maybe I'm having triplets today. <laughs> my, my third delivery. But hey, my wife and I, we are uh, excited to be here, overjoyed to be uh, with you all and, and to uh, get to worship and to serve uh, alongside uh, each of you and especially to serve uh, the, the youth in this church. We, we are so excited to be able to do that. Uh, I grew up in West, going to West City uh, schools, and, and my wife grew up going to Carl Junction schools, so we're, we're right from around here. We know, you know what the, the difficulties and challenges of, of growing up uh, in this area and in this time, and so we're, we're really looking forward to uh, working with our, with our students. Wellspring Church exists to glorify God, to make disciples of all nations through gospel-centered worship, service, and community. You know, as a church, in the last few weeks, this is kind of where we've been at in our, in our sermon series. You know, as a church, we feel it necessary to remind ourselves uh, of our mission and calling from God uh, so that we can be discerning in the direction that Wellspring is to go next. In a way that is faithful to the calling that God has put on each of us and on the calling... Okay, there we go. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. I'm new at this. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Uh-huh. He's been doing it a day or two longer than <laughs> But anyways, as I was saying, we've been in this, this sermon series of uh, looking at the vision statement of Wellspring. And for a couple of reasons. We want to be faithful to uh, God's calling in our lives and, and to move in uh, the direction that he would have us to go. And so a few weeks ago, Scott kicked us off with a message entitled, Wellspring Is. It's got preached from 1 Peter chapter 2. On what does it mean to be a local church? What does that even look like? What, what, what is a local church? And, and why do we as, as a group of believers gather together every Sunday to worship God? And how are we as Wellspring unique in the body of Christ as a local congregation? And then two weeks ago, before our, our little mini ice storm that we had, Last week, Scott preached a message entitled, Make Disciples. Make Disciples. It came from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And in that message, we answered the question of why do we make disciples and, and what does that really look like for us as a church? And as believers, individually, how do we make disciples in the various places that God has called us to? Making disciples in our homes, in our places of, of work and business and the hobbies that we do. And even in this church, how do we make disciples in the church? Why and how do we make disciples? And so the direction that we're taking this sermon series is to walk through this vision statement of Wellspring systematically, word by word, phrase by phrase, to, to remind ourselves of what God has called us to and to look forward to what's ahead. So again, Wellspring Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations through gospel-centered worship, service, and community.
community. That's part of, of why I'm here, why I, we made the decision to come here and to serve this church as the next youth pastor. It's because I am passionate about seeing God glorified through the proclamation of the gospel message in all areas of life, especially in the life of the church. So again, our hope and our prayer as a church is to both be reminded of our calling as God's people and to hear from him the directions that he would have us go next. So whether you've been here from day one when these doors opened or even if you were here all the way clear back to when this church was meeting in a barn, or whether you're like me and this is your first day here, <laughs> this sermon series really has something for everyone. For those who have been around for a while, it gives a great reminder of why the church was started in the first place. Why are we here? Why is Wellspring here? Why do we even exist? And if you're relatively new to Wellspring, well, this series offers you a great opportunity to hear what Wellspring is all about and the direction that God is taking us. So, I'm not really preaching in this series, though. Uh, I guess in a sense I, I am, in the sense that I'm, I'm preaching in the middle of it, but I'm not continuing with our systematic look at the vision statement this morning. So let me instead explain what I'm doing. So as Scott mentioned a little over a month ago, a month, month and a half ago, I came in and after I contacted Scott and I came in just to these offices back here and, and I told Scott that I would be happy and honored and privileged to be able to accept the position of youth pastor here. And so we we're all very excited and we began, as Scott said, to plan out our transition out of my current ministry near Ozark, Missouri, to, to come here and to be here full-time. So like Scott said, we had this great plan. I was going to be here the week before, and I was going to preach after, uh, because Scott and, and Aaron and everyone was going to be down in Houston and, and then at, at, uh, uh, at Superstart these last couple of days with our fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And then, again, the ice storm came. But when, when, like Scott said, when we were talking about this, he asked me if I would want to preach. So I, I jumped on the opportunity to, to preach, and I said, yeah, I would, I would love to do. But when somebody asks you to preach, you always ask a, a follow-up question on what do you want me to preach or what text or topic? Because you don't know if they're going to be giving you some kind of obscure text or, or some tough topic or something like that <laughs> that you wouldn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> so I asked Scott, is there anything you in particular you want me to preach on? I knew that he was getting ready to start this sermon series. Do you want me to, to preach a message in that? What do you want me to preach on? Scott said, well, preach on whatever you want. <laughs> Whatever I want? Yep. Okay. So here's my sermon on whatever I want. It only should take about the next hour. No, but really, you know, whatever comes out of my mouth, you can blame Scott uh, for, for putting me up in it. You know, when I was thinking through what I would preach, just as with any time I had the opportunity to preach, I, I want to begin with God's word. I want to, to look through scripture and, and to see what God would have to say to us. So I was thinking through what passage of scripture I wanted to preach from to you all this morning, and, and nothing really came to mind for a while until I was sitting in my Romans class at Ozark Christian College up down the road, and we came to Romans 1, 16 and 17, the thesis or theme of the book of Romans. 
And when we came to this text in class, I thought, this is it. This is the text that I am going to preach on. And so let me tell you why this passage, above all others, stood out to me for this morning's message. It is because the message of the book of Romans is distilled, distilled down into these two verses. And the rest of, Paul, uh, rest of Romans is Paul's defense of what he claims in these two verses, in Romans 1, 16, and 17. And that is the message of God's saving righteousness, that God saves sinners. That God, who is in himself Father, Son, and Spirit, holy and righteous, he has worked through all of history to justify all who believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so this message is central to who God is and who we are as people and who we are as a church of believers. And so I hope you can see how it is vitally important to where we are at in this current series. Because God's righteousness and his gospel is a foundation for all that we believe. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, will you go ahead and up, uh, open up to the, to the book of Romans? first chapter. You'll find this book between the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians in the last half of your Bible. But I think it is important, first of all, for us then, that we kind of have an understanding of where we're at in the book of Romans. Where are the Romans? Where is Paul? So let me just start with a, a little bit of history, and I'll, I'll try to make it brief. In the year 49 AD, Jews and Jewish Christians were kicked out of Rome. Because the Romans, see, they, they didn't really quite grasp the difference between Jews and, and Christians. Today we naturally kind of see the distinction between the two. One believes in, in the divinity of Jesus Christ and one does not. But see, the Romans couldn't quite see this difference. So they kicked out all the Jews from Rome in 49 AD. Emperor Claudius kicked them all out. And with that, he also kicked out all of the Jewish Christians from Rome. And so that all that left in, in the Roman church was a group of Christians who were Gentiles, meaning that they didn't know really anything about the Old Testament. They were brand new to all of this stuff. But then in 54 AD, Nero became emperor of Rome, and he allowed the, the Jews and the Jewish Christians to come back into the city of Rome. But as you can imagine, after five years of the Jews being gone out of the city and out of the church, the church took on a much different flavor, much different culture, a Gentile culture. And so the reintroduction of Jews and Jewish Christians to the church naturally created some conflict issues in the church. You can maybe imagine like a, a, a four-member rock band, and that two of the band members are kicked out of the band for five years by the recording company, and only to be allowed to be uh, back into the band after another five years. But since then, the other members of the band have, have since added two more members to the band, and they've changed their style of music. <coughs> you can imagine that when these old band members come back in, that things are going to be a little bit different. Tensions are going to be high. Things are going to be a bit awkward. And that's kind of what we have going on in Rome. And so in these first seven verses of the book, Paul identifies himself and his message for his recipients. And so Paul, he wrote this letter about 57 AD, about three years after Jews came back into the church, and a little less than 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and here we know that Paul had not yet come to Rome, and he 
and that he for some time had had a desire to go to Rome to preach the gospel to these Christians. But for some reason or another, he had been prevented from going. And we see this in verse 13 of chapter 1, where Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. This right here is why Paul wants to go to Rome. He wants to be able to preach the message of the gospel to the Christians there so that he may reap a harvest from them and that he may build a foundation in the most powerful city in the world and that this church would become a sending church for him to go to all other kinds of places around the globe. So Paul establishes his credentials here in the first few verses of this book, of this letter. He's establishing his credentials, but these are not the credentials that he himself has earned or achieved with here, the credentials that he has been given by God. But along with these credentials, it would seem that Paul also carries with him a burden for the gospel, for the preaching and proclamation of the good news. Look at verses 14 and 15. Paul says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So a quick recap. The Jews were kicked out of Rome. They were brought back in. There's some tension between them. And Paul writes this letter to them to establish himself and his credibility that he's been given by God. So that he, when he finally makes it to Rome, may preach the gospel and reap a harvest amongst them. But I think that we have to ask, why in the world would Paul want to even go to Rome in the first place? Why would he want to go and preach to a bunch of ragtag group of believers who don't really seem to get along that much in the largest city and most powerful city in all of the world that has not historically been all that friendly to Christians or to Jews, of which Paul was one? Why would Paul want to do that? Why would he want to go to, to Rome? Well, see, he answers that, that answers that question here in the next two verses in verses 16 and 17. And this is where we will spend the rest of our time this morning. So remember that Paul is eager to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Why? Well, he answers in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is why Paul wants to go to Rome. He's, he's unashamed of the gospel. He's eager to go and preach the gospel in Rome because he is unashamed of it and its power. This is the basis for all the words that will follow in the rest of the book of Romans. These two words are pregnant with meaning. So again, with the rest of our time this morning, I want us to just ask three simple questions from this text. And our first question is this. Why would Paul have reason to feel ashamed of the gospel? He mentions as much in the first phrase of verse 16. Paul begins his reasoning for why he is so passionate to preach the gospel by acknowledging that he is unashamed of the gospel. He is proud of it. So the question that I think that we have to naturally ask is this. Why would he have any reason to feel ashamed of the gospel in the first place? Why does he have to acknowledge this? Did he have reason to feel ashamed of the gospel? Did the Romans have reason to feel ashamed of the gospel? Do we even have reason to feel ashamed of the good news? So again, why would Paul have reason to be ashamed? Well, 
think if we take a look at the places that Paul had been, it will be very telling for us as to why he would have reasoned. See, Paul was probably writing this letter from the city of Corinth just before he set out to go back to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and nearly killed for the preaching of the gospel. And Paul's path for the preaching of the gospel, Paul had already been stoned and left for dead outside the city of Lystra. They actually thought he was dead, and so they just left him there. He picked himself up off the ground and, and took himself back into the city to keep preaching the gospel. And then he was imprisoned and beaten with rods in the city of Philippi. He had been whipped like Jesus and had the flesh of his back ripped open with cords of leather that were bound with rock and with stone and with metal. He had been scarred and bruised and shamed for preaching the gospel, for preaching the good news. Paul had every reason to be ashamed of the gospel because people hated Paul. They despised him for who he was and the message that he preached. And they shamed him in any way they could to get him to shut his mouth about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's no wonder that Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23. He said, for the Jews, they demand signs, and Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Paul had every reason to be ashamed of who he was and the message he preached because of what people said, what people said and did to him. But instead, he says, I am unashamed. I'm proud of the gospel. So what about the Romans? Did they have reason to be ashamed? Well, we, were, we have already seen that Jewish Christians had already been kicked out of Rome once. And the gospel, you know, it just didn't really make any sense in Rome. People didn't understand it there. You have this small group of people in the most powerful city in the world at the time who, who worshipped a man who, who was killed on a cross. And they claimed that he's risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. To the people in Rome, that, that was foolishness. That was ridiculous to believe such a thing. Don't you know that, that only the gods ascend into heaven? It's insane. It's insanity to believe such a thing. Paul and the Romans were, were subject to all kinds of persecution and shame for the message that they believed and that they preached. And today we, we don't really feel this kind of shame necessarily in our culture. So I, I want to just illustrate, you, illustrate this for you for a moment with a story that a, a preacher once told about a young boy. So imagine with me for a second, imagine a, a, a young boy who's about 11, 12 years old, just old enough to have a sense of how things work in the world. He has a mother and a father at home and his parents do, they do pretty well for themselves. His dad, he drives a Ford pickup truck, it's not too old, but it's not brand new either. The mom, she, she drives a, a new SUV. They got a three-car garage. Dad's got his tools and, and zero-turn mower on the far side. And this young boy, he goes to school every day with another boy who comes from a very different story, a very different background. And this boy is just him and his mom and his three younger siblings because dad's in prison. And they struggle to make their payments each month, and they, they shop at thrift stores because they have to, not because it's cool. And regularly, the boy with, with both parents and the, and the nice cars 
picks on the other boy because his mom and dad never show up to any of the peewee football practice or the school functions. Because dad's in prison and mom's working trying to provide for her kids. So one day this boy with the with a, with a nice family, he's got both parents at home and, and nice bars, and he's got everything that he can imagine that he would need as an 11, 12 year old boy. He gets home from school, he gets off the bus, and he goes inside and notices that his mom's not. Mom's not usually home at this time of day. And the phone's ringing in the kitchen, but mom is in the living room crying. That's when the news comes out that dad had to go away for a little while for embezzling a couple hundred thousand dollars from the business that he helped start. And Dad's name is, is about, and his picture are about to go all over the news, all over Facebook, all over the newspapers. And this boy can't bear the thought of showing his face in public because of what happened. Let alone to go back to school and face the shame of the things that he once had said and had done. This boy is terrified of what is to come in the coming weeks. The things that he will hear about him and his family. The things that will be done to him. The shame that he will face. This is the level of shame that we were talking about that Paul and the Romans were being subjected to. This is the shame that they faced. And so here's what I, I need you to know about the gospel and shame. That when you proclaim message of the gospel, you will be shamed for the gospel, but you never have to be ashamed of the gospel. I'll say it again. When you proclaim the message of the gospel, you will be ashamed for the gospel, but you never have to be ashamed of the gospel. When you spread the good news of Jesus, you can be assured that someone will do everything they can to shame you into shutting your mouth and walking away in fear. While you may be ashamed for the gospel, you never have to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul was not ashamed. He was proud. What about you? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Or are you proud of the good news that we believe and proclaim? Because the temptation, when you are ashamed of the message you preach, is either to abandon it or to change it. Do you live in fear of what others might say about you if they knew you were a Christian? Or do you fear the criticism of, uh, of those you might face for taking the opportunity to disciple someone or to tell them about Jesus? Or do you, do you change your message to fit in with what is popular today instead of standing by the truth of the gospel that Scripture teaches? You don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul wasn't. The Romans were this leads us to our second question this morning, which will tell us why. Why is Paul, why are we unashamed of the gospel? Why were the Romans unashamed of the gospel? Look at how Paul continues in verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. See, the gospel is the very power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It is not Paul's power. It is not my power. It is not Scott's power. It is not your power. It is God's power for salvation. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, and 5, Paul says this. 
He says, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he, talking about God, has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So while we, we speak the word, God brings the power behind the word through his Holy Spirit. In other words, as Dr. Tom Schreiner says, he says that the gospel is so powerful that the preaching of the word does not merely make salvation possible, but affects salvation in those who are called. You see, when Paul was called by God on the Damascus Road, he, he, he was also commissioned by God to be a light to the Gentiles and to preach to them the good news. Paul says as much in Romans 1.14. Notice that in verse, in, in verse 14, Paul says that he is under obligation both to the Greek and to barbarian, both to the wise and to the foolish. See, when God called Paul and saved him, he, he commissioned Paul with the gospel, as God commissions each one of us. It is, as John Stott says in his commentary on Romans, that Jesus had entrusted Paul, and he has entrusted us with the gospel with the intent of Paul and with us being the ones to bring it to the world. God could have chosen to call anyone and everyone to salvation the way that he did with Paul on the Damascus Road. But instead, he has given to all believers the burdens and the tasks that comes along with their faith to proclaim the gospel to the world. So while God is the one who powerfully and effectually works in the lives of all who come to faith, to call them to repentance, God gives his church the task of proclaiming that message to for all to hear. It's what gives the church its motivation for evangelism. The truth that the gospel is God's power to save sinners, to save you and I. This is why Paul can say truthfully that he is unashamed of the gospel, though some would shame him. Because of the power that it has through God and the working of the Holy Spirit to bring all to salvation who believe. Anyone who believes in the name of the Lord will be saved. This takes us to Romans 10, where everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not heard, or not ha have not believed? And how are they to believe in him, in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Paul is unashamed of the gospel because he understands that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And he feels the weight and the debt and the burden that is owed to the world that they might hear too and that they might repent and be saved. I've come to Wellspring because I'm passionate about the gospel. I'm passionate about the gospel taking shape in the lives of people. Especially the youth here in this church. But this is not a power that is of me or even of this world. But it is a, a heavenly and divine power of God. And so I know it will not fail. That's, that's why we do what we do here. That's why we gather every week. That's why 
Wellspring exists for the glory of God to be central in our lives because it offers the greatest joy and freedom to anyone who believes. So while our message may be a stumbling block to some and foolishness to others, we will not apologize for the message that we preach. We will proclaim it with power and boldness because we are unashamed. So that brings us to our third and final question this morning. How is Paul unashamed of the gospel? What is the basis for all of this? How are we unashamed of the gospel? So to answer this question, I think that we need to go back and read through both verses 16 and 17 together. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The how is in the pure nature of the gospel and who God is. The word gospel, as many of you know, means good news or good report. And so if there's good news, conversely, that means that there must be bad news. And the bad news is that we live in a sinful and broken world, and there is no one who is without sin. As Romans goes on to tell us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the cost of these sins, the wages of these sins, is our death. The bad news is that because of the sin that entered the world through Adam, all of humanity has become inherently sinful and diseased. And because of our sin and ungodliness, we have been separated from the Father and His love. And the final consequences of our sin is death and destruction. Because our righteous and holy God, while loving us, hates our sin. This is bad, bad news. Terrible news. But there is good news. The good news is that God is righteous in keeping his promises that he has made to us, to his people. That God remains faithful, though we ourselves are unfaithful. And in God's righteousness, he sent his, his own son to the cross to die an atoning death and sacrifice for our sins. And our sins were put on Jesus' shoulders. Our death was put on Jesus' shoulders. And our shame was put on his shoulders. And he bore our sins on the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and the shame. He endured the beatings and he endured the lashings and he endured the crown of thorns in his head and the nails in his hands and in his feet. He endured the nakedness on the cross and the mockers who cried. He could, he could save others, but he can't even save himself. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and the shame so that God in his righteousness could declare all who believe in his son justified, righteous through faith. Good news is that a righteous judge justifies through faith alone and Christ alone. And it's nothing that we do. It's all Him. And it's always been Him. So, how can we be unashamed of the gospel? Because God took away our shame through Jesus Christ, and we have received His righteousness. The righteous by faith shall live. Now, that is good news this morning. The gospel humbles us to know that we are no different from anyone else. That each is deserving of God's wrath. 
that it is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we have right standing with God. And the gospel that motivates us in our evangelism. We have been given the responsibility to preach this good news because it is the power of God for salvation. And it is why we are unashamed of the gospel. See, Christians can be unashamed of the gospel because it is God's gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so while it may be foolishness to some and a stumbling block to others, to us it is life, it is salvation. And you can be unashamed of the gospel because of who God is, what he has done, what he has promised that he will do. In Romans 8, God promises to work all things out for good for, the, for those who love him. Even when it feels as if the, the world is bearing down on us, God is there and his love will never fail you if you just hold on. So this morning, whether you face trials or shame or fear, you can lay it all at the foot of the cross because Jesus has taken our burden on himself. God is there and his love will never fail you. You just hold on. You can rest assured that God is righteous and just. So what then shall we say of these things? Of these trials, these afflictions, the shame, fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Trust that God is righteous and be unashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. The true man needs to be justified today. That Jesus Christ bore our sin and our death and our shame and our so that we can be ashamed of the gospel and that so we can go boldly out into all the world and preach the good news. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.